Philippians 3, verses 17 to chapter 4, verse 1. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so, so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, he, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Good morning, church. Sure is good to see each of you. Some of you have returned from vacation. Others are gone right now from us, but it's always good to see your faces. And I do hope that you take seriously the understanding that as a, as a Christian and a member of a local fellowship, God desires that when we are able, we be in fellowship. We attend together. Amen? It really is important. It's part of being a Christian, is being part of God's family. And uh, thank you for being here. A couple things to say to you regarding the family of God. Uh, Brother Brad Cotier, one of our members, went home to be with the Lord last night. And so uh, we celebrate in his homecoming in heaven, and uh, we thank God for delivering him from years of suffering. And uh, we're very thankful to the Lord. And I, I pray that you will continue to lift up uh, Brother Ray Garcia, uh, one of our elders, Ray, has been with Brad uh, con continually through the process uh, and has served him, and also Bruce Berlin, one of our elders. And then there's men in the men's ministry who, through the last couple, three years, have taken time to minister deeply to Brad and to come alongside him. So we're very thankful for this church and its commitment to one another. And uh, I rejoice in that. I also rejoice with you, the family of God, over the fact that as our nation celebrates July 4th, our independence, we, we have two independences to, to uh, thank God for. Our, our nation's independence, but also our independence from sin, amen, through Jesus Christ. That's the greater freedom that we have, but we rejoice over both. And I hope that this week you have time with your family, 
And I also hope that at some point in the summer, you take some time away. I think it's important that we all get time abreast and, and a little recreation, a little uh, family time. Maybe you say, well, we don't have the money to do that. Well, then make it a staycation, you know. But uh, go to the beach during the day. Go see a movie. Do something. But spend time. Go to the park. Enjoy one another. That's so important. Well, Carmen beautifully read our text for us. And I want to take us back to what she just read. And I want to read it again because I want this to be the framework. And I want it really to resonate and to settle in your hearts as we go into this sermon. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for how you use your word to speak to us, to inspire us, to connect with us, at times to correct us. For some that are here today, I'm sure it's a time to inform us of things we didn't understand before, but use your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the context of the passage that was just read to us by Carmen is an essential doctrine uh, to the Christian faith. It is literally, from the beginning of that passage to the end, it's encompassed by this doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ, who came and lived among us, and through his suffering and death on the cross, he secured the atoning sacrifice necessary in order to present us before God the Father clothed in his righteousness and guarantees our citizenship is a citizenship that is found in heaven. But we can have that citizenship right here on earth as Paul mentions it. Listen, church, there can be no greater work of God than to redeem sinners. I, I don't believe everyone here today, I, I never take this for granted, I don't believe everyone here is saved. To purchase those who were made in the image of God, yet totally and completely lost in their life and in their eternity because they are slaves to sin, God desires to save you. Could there be a greater work of God on our behalf? than the salvation from a slavery of sin? Could there be a higher purpose in our worship of the one true and living God? This essential understanding of the Christian life, is it not enough for us? Is there really anything else that transcends the relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? 
So Paul draws for us this dramatic comparison or contrast between his description in verses 18 and 19 from his description which follows in verses 20 and 21. Paul contrasts the first group as heading for destruction. Their end is destruction, verse 19. And the second group he describes in verse 20 as having their citizenship in heaven, even though they're not yet in heaven. But on this earth, their citizenship is in heaven. The question that has to be asked and that we must keep coming back to each of us this morning as we go through this text is, where do I belong? Paul laid it out pretty clear. There's two groups. He was speaking to the church at Philippi. Now God is using his words to speak to us. Where do I belong? That is the most important question that you can answer in your life. Paul begins this passage by first saying that he wasn't perfect. He made that very clear early on in the, in the chapter. In fact, he takes a jab at those who have come into the church giving off an air that they are perfect, that they've figured it out, they've got it all together, and Paul was off, but we're not. So Paul actually makes the statement early on that he's not perfect in this pursuit of Christ, and neither are they. He only lived to follow Christ, and now in verse 17, he calls the church in Philippi to follow his example as he follows Christ, as others like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, follow Christ. Why? Because those who are saved, listen church, those who are saved desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's just in you by the Holy Spirit to desire to be conformed to Jesus. This is in fact God's will for every believer. Write it down if you will, Romans 829, not 828. That's the one that we all know, but we don't know Romans 829, the next verse. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He knew you from the foundation of the world. He called you and he predestines those who are called to conform to the image of Jesus. That is the Christian life. And the Philippian church needed to hear this. They needed to be reminded that they can see the gospel lived out in flesh and blood. Paul is saying, just look at me. I'm not perfect, but I am pursuing Christ, and I'm giving him everything I have, and I've surrendered to him. I want to be conformed as the Spirit speaks to me each and every day. He's giving them a picture in flesh and blood here. Every day that we live, we are either giving people a reason to believe in Jesus or an excuse for why they shouldn't believe in Jesus. We either live according to the pattern that he gave us or we live according to the pattern of this world. We live as a hypocrite on Sunday when we're in our small group, whatever it might be, the group that's Christian that we're hanging out with, 
We live according to the pattern of the word of God. But then when we're not with Christians, we live according to the worldly patterns. Verse 18, look at what he said. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't know if you're catching it, but there's a compassion coming out in Paul as he made that statement. He, he, uh, you do understand that most of Paul's writings were actually transcribed. Somebody was there dictating. They were writing down what he was saying. Paul didn't write his own letters in, for the most part. So get the picture. He's, he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He comes to this point and he's trying to draw this description be, and contrast between those who are enemies of the cross of Christ and those who have surrendered to God because of the cross of Christ. And so he's speaking these words and he says, for many of whom I have often told you, and the, 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 dicta the di dictation's going out, you know, they're spelling it out, writing it. And then there's, I can just imagine a pause. They're writing. And then there's silence. And they look over at Paul and his head's down. He's not saying anything. And tears are welling up in him as he thinks about what he's about to say. And he just tells the person that's taking the letter, he said, just make sure, say it this way, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. We know that because of their behavior. That's how you detect someone, listen now, he's writing to the church, someone in the church, and believe me, there's more than one, that are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. False teachers look as close to the reality of the true teacher, so close that if it were possible, they could fool the very elect, the Bible says. False prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, Jesus said, they are ferocious wolves. Jesus went on and said, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, neither can a good tree bear bad fruit. These folks bear bad fruit. Their character their behavior reveals that they are from a bad tree. And Jesus said, any tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will know them. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father not the will of self, will enter heaven. To live your life as if you were a Christian, but only to find out in the end that your life was built on wood, stay and hubble, or uh, 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 stubble, <laughs> hubble, uh, stubble. Could there be a worse outcome in a person's life? Could there be a greater shock 
Many of these who are enemies of the cross of Christ don't even know it. They've so insulated themselves with legalistic righteousness. They've learned to practice in front of others on the outside righteousness. They look the part, they sound the part, but they're not saved. Not everyone who tries to teach you their version of truth is representing Christ. You need to be careful of that. There are those in this body who would try to come to you and give you a version of their understanding of a text that is not founded in Scripture. Maybe they stand strongly on that point because that's how they were raised to believe. Well, whatever the reason doesn't matter. If it's not in the Bible, if you can't substantiate it from the Word of God, it's, it's false. And church, don't be taken by those things. Don't be taken by people who come to you who look the part and say things in such a way it sounds so close to the truth, but it's not the truth. They've created for themselves and are trying to convince others of their own form of legalistic behavior and belief. At the root of legalism is a heart that puts self first, not Christ. That's why they're called enemies of the cross. They really worship self. They form their legalistic path to God because it allows them to fulfill their insatiable desire. What's at the root of a person who's legalistic? I'll tell you what it is. Lust. When I say lust, I'm not just talking about sexual lust. You can lust after anything. They lust after the flesh, pleasing the flesh in all circumstances. That's at the root of a legalist. They have an appearance of wisdom, but they don't contain the capacity to live out what they say. The Spirit of God does not reside inside of them. They cannot conform to the image of Christ nor do they desire. If you approach them about something and you lovingly say, brother, sister, you're off on this, and I want to show you by the word of God how I know you're off. They will only give you a reason why they can't go along. They will begin to make excuse. They'll begin to reason in an unhealthy reasoning, not by the word of God, but out of their own experience, out of their own thinking. And the reason that they won't, won't give in is because they're enemies of the cross and they don't know it in, in many cases. Their, their goal is to make sure everyone thinks that they're doing everything that a Christian should do. In fact, their whole life is do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Because that's all they have is presenting a picture of. But the inside is wicked. It's, it's base. It's depraved. And they've never surrendered, and they've never been transformed by God. So they're living outside like they are something that inside they're not. When they say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't... They're actually preaching to themselves 
They're hoping that by saying it, it puts them in a better position with God. But in reality, what they're doing is they're revealing what's in their heart. In the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother cannot celebrate his younger brother who finally comes home, and he comes home repentant over his sinfulness. And the father receives that young boy, and he says, go get the fattened calf. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And they start the party, and the older brother is out in the field working. He's doing as he has always done. And he can hear the celebration. He says, what, what's going on? Why are they celebrating? And someone told him, your, your younger brother came home. He repented of his sin. He didn't even think that he was worthy to be your father's son any longer. But your father welcomed him home, wrapped his arms around him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a clothing over his back. Your father has thrown a party because his son that was lost is now found. You know what it says in Luke 15, verse 28? But when the older brother heard this, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've done the right thing on the outside. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, disclaiming him as a brother, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? He's devoured your property. He took the inheritance and spent it on prostitutes. Where in the parable did it say the young man was with prostitutes? It's not there. The boy didn't come home and say he had been with prostitutes. When he was out living in the world, it doesn't say he was with prostitutes. No, that reveals more about the older brother's heart than it does the younger brother. These individuals that Paul's speaking to are enemies of the cross because Christ went to the cross to die for people who admit that they have a lustful heart and are unclean and they have no hope of cleaning themselves. That's when God begins to turn because he's been drawing them and they realize how filthy they are and God then comes and he rescues they're cleansed by God of their sinfulness but see a legalist never gets to that point they don't ever turn they don't ever come back because they think that they're good enough in their outward external behavior this is by Paul said with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Oh, that they would surrender to Christ. Oh, that you 
who are holding on to your own laws of righteousness, saying that you're a good person when what God sees in you is the sin of Adam and the sins that you yourself commit daily. But you won't repent. You won't confess. You won't come clean. But you'll continue to call yourself a good person. You'll even quote what other people say about you that's good because you've got a good reputation. Not from God's view. But your pride keeps you from God's view. And it keeps you from surrender. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And now we have this glorious contrast. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One commentary said it this way. Let me read it for you. J.B. Phillips, our outlook goes beyond this world to the hopeful expectation of the Savior who will come from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will remake these wretched bodies of ours to resemble his own glorious body by that power of his which makes him the master of everything that is. Now these Philippians to whom Paul writes are actually citizens of Rome. Did you know that? They're in Macedonia. They're in Greece. And yet they're citizens of Rome because Philippi was a Roman outpost. That means their dress their laws, their language, their protection, all point to the reality of their citizenship from Rome. And so Paul says here, using the understanding of living in one location while having a citizenship somewhere else, and he speaks of the Christian life. We, are, we who are Christians live on this earth, yet we are citizens of heaven. Listen, Christian, don't ever forget that. Don't ever come to a point in your walk on a daily basis that you forget that you are a citizen of heaven here on earth. Amen? Amen. While we are commanded to obey the laws of our earthly government, even that command is found in heaven's law. And no matter how much we enjoy our life down here on this planet earth, the best is still in front of us. If you take Brad's best day in his life on earth, whatever that was, whatever joy that brought to him, whatever excitement and enthusiasm he had on that day, it's nothing compared to what he's experiencing right now in heaven and for all eternity. Don't ever lose sight that you are a citizen of heaven. So Paul is reinforcing for these beleaguered Christians in Philippi that this description of who they really are and to whom they really belong is the most real thing about their existence. The fact that you're in Philippi, in Macedonia, 
and being a citizen of Rome. That's not the best picture. That's not the real picture. The real picture is that you belong to God. We celebrate this week, and I'm so thankful for it, that we can celebrate July 4th, our independence as a nation. I love that. But never will I ever celebrate the independence of my nation like I will and do celebrate every day my independence from sin. That God has set me apart in a new life. He's given me a new hope. I'm no longer, while I may fall into sin, I'm no longer a slave to sin because of Jesus Christ. To the believers in Ephesus, Paul wrote these words. Write it down, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'm going to read it quickly because it's so good. He said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation, before the world was made, God already knew you and he chose you that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. These are things that we have now, by the way. He's not saying when you get to heaven, these are the things you're going to have. He's saying to the church in Ephesus, you've got these things going for you right now. Are you aware of that? Are you, are you remembering that? Are you pointing with my cast? Are you underst- understanding this? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. His grace has been lavished in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness, um, for the fullness of time to unite all things to him. I love that. And in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Friends, we are blessed. We are rich. We are not to behave like the first group because we've been changed from the inside and what comes out is in here. It makes us different. And you need to be so discerning not to give ear to those who only have it out here, but their heart speaks a different language. And in secret, they live a different life. Maybe not in secret. Because it says that they're they're proud of their shame. What would make you shameful? They, they, They don't see it shameful. That's fine. You know people like that. And you know Christians who behave like that. 
Paul wasn't just thinking about a future citizenship that we'll experience in heaven. He's saying that this citizenship is ours now. I love that wonderful song that we sing here at Bureau Bible Fellowship. And it's a song that we learned a couple years ago, and we stay with it because it's a great song written by Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. It's called Almost Home. Listen to the words of the song again. Don't drop a single anchor. We're almost home. So while I'm here on earth, I'm living as if I'm in heaven. But one day I will be in heaven. One day you will be in heaven. Amen? Don't drop a single anchor. What does that mean? Don't hold on to the things of this world tightly. Keep a loose grip because there's a better thing ahead for you. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have gone or have before us gone? Not stopping now, we're almost home. That promised land is calling, we're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then, we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for the king, that kingdom come. No turning back. Press on, like Paul said in this chapter, because we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. This journey ours together, we're almost home. Unto that great forever, we're almost home. What song anew we'll sing round that happy throne. Come faint of heart, we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord. We're almost home. This life here on earth is really just a temporal, transient existence. That's all it is. What gets us through the daily trials and setbacks in this life, like Abraham, we are looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Are you not hanging on to that? There are days when it's hard to hang on in this life. You put that in your mind. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. They were in slavery to Pharaoh's house. He chose to be a slave with them rather than enjoy the pleasures of fleeting sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, by faith, uh, Abraham, uh, Moses left and went with the Israelites into the, into the wilderness. And by faith, he led them across as Joshua led them to the promised land. We will never die in faith if we haven't lived by faith. We will never enter into the heavenly city if we have not first allowed the kingdom of heaven to live in us on earth. I don't know who you are. I really don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in my heart. But I know this. There is a clear distinction between those who are enemies of Christ and the cross of Christ and those who have surrendered to the cross and have become friends of God. Do you know for sure who you are? Which one of these are you? You should not wait another second. You should settle that issue 
the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life right now, today. The fact that you're hearing this sermon, God is calling. The Holy Spirit right now is working inside of you. He is calling you to surrender to the truth of the gospel. That while Adam and Eve were perfect in the garden, they chose to sin. And therefore, God had to take them out of the garden. The fellowship that they enjoyed was broken. But God didn't leave them in that state of brokenness. He sent his only begotten son who created all things and in him all things hold together. He sent him in bodily form, the incarnate Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life that you, that I, can never live. Best we can do is be a legalist. Put on a front like we're living it, but inside we know we're not. And you'll never change your sin condition. You can't be good enough to change your sin condition. So Christ came and lived the perfect life and went to the cross and took on God the Father's wrath against me for my sinfulness, against you. He paid the price. He became the, the atoning sacrificial death for me. So I wouldn't have to die. You need to, by faith, receive that. Know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. But you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. You have to cry out to God and just let him know that I'm helpless and hopeless without you. I'm asking you right now today, by faith, I'm asking to be part of your family through Jesus Christ. And the Lord will save you because the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You can walk out of here today transformed by the Holy Spirit, having a new life in Christ, being a new person, having a citizenship in heaven that's just awaiting you to receive the fullness of it. Praise God. Let's all stand. I want to invite the elders to come forward, and I want to invite the prayer team to come forward. And come across the front and spread out as best you can, not standing together. If you're here today and you have reached out to God by faith, because being saved has nothing to do with works. Nothing. Salvation occurs by faith. And if you have had faith today, you've taken the measure of faith God's given and you've, you've put that faith in Jesus as the Son of God who died for you. Listen, you are saved. Now that you're saved, I want to invite you as we close our time as through prayer to step out and come up and speak to one of these who are standing up front and communicate that you have just received the grace of God for your sins. You've been saved by Christ so that they can celebrate with you.
so that they can pray with you and just thank God for his goodness to you, that he saved you. Amen? Father, right now, we thank you for this time. We thank you for each person that is here. You're speaking to hearts in this room, and you have been even before the sermon ever started. And I'm praying, Lord, that your way would be so clear, so evident, that a person would easily be able to see the gospel for what it is and respond to it by faith, believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for the forgiveness of their sins. By, by, by confessing, by repenting of their sinful condition and choosing to follow Jesus. God, that's what Paul was after. That's what he was talking to the Philippians about. You're, you're not the same as those who are enemies of the cross. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now let's stand firm in it. Let's walk in it every day. And we give you praise and honor for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, for being here today. And again, I hope you have a wonderful week. If you're traveling, uh, have safety. Let us know so we can be praying for you. And uh, make sure you greet one another before you leave. Come forward if you need help with prayer over any matter. Our team will pray for you.